So Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that is done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and then in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you who are no longer foreigners, sorry, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's been great, great, great fun to be here. And one of the, I know I've said this already, but, the, but one of the great funs about being here is the music. It's terrific. What I like about it, I was just saying uh, uh, to Catherine, no, sorry, Michelle. Yes. I was just saying to Michelle, it's like home baking. It's... It's better than professional, <laughs> I think. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> well, it's 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 great, and uh, thank God too. We've got some we've got some fine uh, hymns to sing, don't we? So we're doing what the apostle tells us to do in Colossians chapter three. Christians are a singing people, not sinning. Yes, that's true. But we are singing people. We're musical people. We uh, Colossians three. Remember, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly teaching and admonishing each other yes so we've all got that job uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs well one of the ways we teach and admonish each other is by singing See, it's fairly easy actually um, and uh, with thankfulness in your hearts to God so uh, one of the things that does mark Christians is that we are congregational singers or at least Protestant Christians uh, are great at congregational singing not concerts, not great choirs doing their thing and us all listening. That's, I don't know what that is, that's Opera House. But what we are marked for is the congregation singing sustained by the musicians. That's what, in fact, in some Protestant churches in the old days, you used to have the choir at the back. It's probably pretty well where the choir should be. Um, but just in order to sustain the singing. I don't mean you guys, but I mean, you know, those sort of choirs. Um, because our business is not that we go to a concert or see someone else, but that we minister to each other by singing, however inadequate your voice may be. And I've heard some fairly inadequate voices here. Um, no, <laughs> I'm very kidding, I haven't heard a thing. Uh, except mine but no, that's uh, so church 
is definitely you couldn't have a church called no song no matter what my joke is uh, because singing is integral to our christian churchiness our what we do as church and it's a way in which we admonish and teach each other uh, to sing those great words someone else has given us and sing them as if you're they belong to you so that your neighbors can hear you singing that's great so well done church i think uh, you have my tick on that now there's a few things i want to say about you um <laughs> Uh, we're kidding. Okay. Now, last time we met before uh, before um, <laughs> before morning tea, I ate one of the children's offerings. <laughs> I did say to uh, I did say to David, did they wash their hands before? <laughs> you didn't think of that, did you? No, I won't tell you what he said. Um, at any rate, before morning tea. Uh, uh, we were talking about the way in which church is built up and it's built up first of all by the preaching of God's word through the gifts of the Lord Jesus Christ which are his human gifts his gifts of apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers because a church starts when an evangelist preaches the word of God and then people gather under a gum tree somewhere or something like this and that's where church begins uh, and then it, it gets a building and all sorts of troubles um, but church begins there evangelists pastors and teachers where pastors and teachers are probably the same people because you pastor by teaching uh, but then it becomes everyone's responsibility to build the church to build the church up uh, one way or another and here's where 1 Corinthians 12 comes in now I'm not going to spend a lot of time on 1 Corinthians 12 but um, let's have a look at it now uh, it's become a famous passage particularly in our generation uh, because it's been taken by um, taken over and people have had a look at it and they've said wow uh, the church I go to doesn't have these gifts uh, miracles and speakings in tongues and uh, interpretations of tongues and prophecies and who knows what else uh, you, you guys don't have those gifts therefore you couldn't be a proper church and the reason you don't have the gifts is you didn't get the, the blessing of the Holy Spirit uh, there's, uh, you, don't, you didn't realize this, but there's two blessings of the Holy Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit you receive when you become Christian, and then there's this, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which you receive. Hang on a moment. This is all in inverted commas, guys. Okay, I'm quoting. I'm not teaching. I'm quoting. Uh, but there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit you receive subsequent to becoming Christian. And when you receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit, and only some Christians have got it, uh, you are gifted supernaturally with r remarkable gifts and particularly for example the gift of speaking in tongues and some people get the gift of miracles and some people and and so you have these supernatural gifts everywhere and if your church doesn't have those supernatural gifts you're obviously living at the at this level of the Christian life and you ought to be you ought to go up there to the baptized in the Holy Spirit level of the Christian life where you'll get these wonderful gifts oh well Apart from the fact we don't really know what speaking in tongues is, um, could be speaking in foreign languages, and I don't hear too much of that going on, uh, you know, speaking Latin and French or something. Um, apart from the fact we don't really know what it was, which makes it a bit awkward, I don't think it was just going blah 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 or something like that. Uh, who knows? Uh, let alone the interpretation of the gifts. But anyhow, apart from that, this passage teaches the exact opposite. Have a look at uh, verses 12 and 13. I'm having trouble here because I was looking at 2 Corinthians. 
I was thinking, where's that gone? Here it is, 1 Corinthians 12. Have I got the right bit? 12 and 13. Okay, you've got Ephesians. I was doing 2 Corinthians. Okay, it's 1 Corinthians 12. Did I not say that? 1 Corinthians 12. Well, I know we did, but we sort of by this stage in the weekend, I'm going off in every direction. Don't take no notice of any notes or anything like this. Okay, here we go. Uh, do, you, do you want to NIV this together? Yes, why don't you, why don't you all read it together? I'll listen in because I've got the wrong person here. But uh, start at verse 12, and I presume it starts with the word forward of it. Okay, you ready? And read verses 12 and... Uh, where am I? 12 and 13. Go, four. Furthermore, this passage says that you, church, are the body of Christ. You're not part of it. It's not as though the Port Moresby Prezies are a toe on the body of Christ. Excuse me, speaking sacrilegiously. But you are the body of Christ. Okay? So, you are the body of Christ, and therefore you are a unity. Now, all this talk about you receive the Holy these wonderful gifts you don't have because you are an inferior Christian but this passage says no the point about being uh, the church is that you are one you are all one in Christ Jesus look again at um, the end of verse 12 there Jews or Greeks slaves or free male or female Scythian barbarian whatever even Tasmanians for that matter <laughs> all made Tasmanian you had that look on your face. It was a, sort of a look of horror. Uh, all one in Christ Jesus. It's got to be like that, doesn't it? Because your, your qualification for belonging to the Lord Jesus is the death of Jesus on the cross for you because you're an enemy of God. That's your qualification. Well, if you've got that qualification, you don't need a further qualification uh, to make you a superior Christian. Now, you can always improve as a Christian. Of course, we're all growing and so forth. That's true. But this idea of a sort of two-stage Christianity is foreign to the New Testament and actually tells against the gospel. It's not helpful because it destroys the unity of the body of Christ. So we know that can't be true. Okay? In fact, um, 
it seems to me, sorry, the fact is that it seems to me, it seems to me, in fact, that uh, what we're actually observing with the rise of a movement which talks to us about speaking in tongues and all that sort of thing, it, I don't think it really is about giftedness for the body of Christ. My own view is it's about assurance, that many Christians lack assurance of salvation. And if you go through a process and you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and suddenly you can speak in tongues, it's as if God is putting his hand on you. There's a supernatural element to it. At last I've, been, I've got a supernatural element that can only come from God after all. Who else could imagine that I could speak in tongues? It's got to be supernatural. So therefore God accepts me and I am accepted by God. My own view is that it's a question of assurance rather than a question of giftedness. And I'll tell you why. Um, because, you see, the funny thing about speaking in tongues in the modern version of it, whatever it is, is that everybody can do it. You don't need to be baptised in the Spirit to do it. Non-Christians can do it. It's a natural, not a supernatural phenomenon. And therefore, after a little while, when it becomes mundane and you do it every, every second day and everyone does it, you realise it's, no, it's unusual, weird, but not supernatural. And therefore, you have to look for the next supernatural thing to reassure you again. So you go on to the next bit of whatever's being offered these days uh, as a way of assuring you. So in my view, this is about assurance, which is another issue altogether, rather than about church and the giftedness of the church. Now, this may be all nonsense. Fortunately, I'm leaving town tonight. And uh, you can... Uh, that's it. Uh, so, and you can be as critical as you like. Uh, I won't be here to listen to it. But that's that seems to me to be the pointed issue at the moment. Now, if you do look at 1 Corinthians 12, sure, there are these extraordinary gifts mentioned, uh, miracles, speaking in tongues, etc., etc. And I observe the following things. Now, I'm going to I'm going to say a number of things about the gifts. Okay. In fact, I think I've got about eight things to say, but don't worry, I'll go through them quickly about one, that arise from 1 Corinthians 12 and about giftedness and uh, our, our place in the body of Christ. So the first things I want to say are that the list we have here is not definitive. That is to say, elsewhere in the New Testament, there are other lists of gifts. Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, isn't it? Um, Ephesians, for that matter. Other gifts, other lists occur that aren't the same necessarily. So it's not a definitive gift. In fact, I think it's a descriptive list. That is to say, these are the things the Corinthians at that time were claiming. And Paul doesn't refute them by saying, look, these gifts are nonsense. What he does is he, he accepts them at their face value and says, okay, fair enough. If you believe that, they're the gifts that you have operating at the moment. Now let me tell you how they should operate. And in telling you how they should operate, he puts them into a totally different context. So you see at the end he says, do all speak in tongues? And the answer, the Greek is perfectly clear here, the answer is no. So if you say that the mark of baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues, you are, you are denying what the Bible says for not all do speak in tongues, whatever that is. So what Paul is doing is taking the gifts that they were claiming 
and he's put them into the proper theological context. It's not a definitive list, in my opinion. Secondly, it's not an exhaustive list. You can think of other gifts as well, and uh, Romans 12 and other passages give you other, other gifts. It's not as though he's saying, right, these are the gifts. Every church ought to have this list of gifts, and these are the ones you all ought to have. No, there are no others. No, he's not talking like that at all. He's saying, right, this is a, a list of the gifts that you are laying claim to, you Corinthians, and you know what he thought about the Corinthians. This is the list you super apostles are claiming. Okay, now let me talk to you about them. But there are other gifts as well. Come to that in a moment. So that must be the second point. Third point. All those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit are gifted by God. Now, if you are if you are a Christian, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Have a look at uh, have a look at verse uh, is it verse seven? I think it is. Um, or go to go to verse four. Go to verse four. Uh, why don't you all read? Thank you again for me. Uh, verses four to seven. I'll say one, two, three, and you can you can you can begin. Okay, got it there. One Corinthians twelve four to seven. One, two, three. of the Spirit? Is it to assure me that God is still there? is such a tumultuous event for many of us. Uh, but this, you don't have to say a gift has to be given like that brand new. It can, the gifting can be that the Lord takes some of you, some part of you, and sanctified to himself, now begins to use it, perhaps in a way that hadn't been used before. Okay? So, all are gifted. Now, how do we, how do we determine what your gift is? Ooh. Or gifts, because some of you are multi-gifted. Um, and I was talking about this at a young people's camp and a young man full of self-confidence came to me and said oh this is a wonderful doctrine 1 Corinthians 12 and so forth and so on now he said I'd like to discuss what my gift is I thought mate 
you're an idiot. Um, back, you know, back, back to kindergarten. Now I thought to myself, mate, you're an idiot. What I said to him was, oh, what an interesting idea, or something like that. You know how you work out your gift? I believe the way to work it, and this is just a piece of Christian wisdom, I can't say it's in the Bible here, but I'm saying, I think you work out your gift when you look for what's needed and see if you can do it. Your, your gift is not, you see, that young man uh, was using his gift as a means of self-identification. Oh, I am a, you know, wonderful, I, I can imagine what his gift was going to be, he was going to be a wonderful preacher. He, did, he didn't say, I'm going to be a wonderful administrator. I don't think that was his gift in his mind. He was going to self-identify, he was going to find his identity in his gift. But that's the wrong use of the gift. What the, the use of gifts is for you to have the eyes to see the need and to see if you can fulfill it, and if you can't, you haven't got the gift. The best way to see if you're gifted is to try to do what needs to be done. I think that sort of works, don't you? Yeah, that sort of works. I'll tell you why it works, because when you observe other people in your church, you'll see them doing it. You say, oh, they're quite unconscious. They, they, in fact, they don't even talk this category. They just do it. And that's how they're gifted. Okay, so that was my third point. I've only got eight, that's all right. Um, gifts differ in type. Now this is clear in 1 Corinthians 12, isn't it? You know, you have the eye and the hand, and you have the head and so forth and so on. So gifts differ in type. Some people are gifted one way, some people are gifted another way. But they all come from a common source. They all come from the Lord Jesus. And they are interdependent. That is to say, the eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. So some gifts are public, some gifts are obvious, some gifts are so private you can hardly see them doesn't matter, they're all part of what the Lord provides and you cannot exalt yourself because you are gifted in some particular extraordinary way and you cannot exalt yourself and say, oh, I'm so important, I am so gifted. No, the gift of another person may be invisible to you, but their gift may be essential to the body and may be exercised fully. So don't identify yourself with your gift and don't think that my gift is the, the important one or something like that. Okay, gifts differ in type. Next point. Oh, this is a hard one. I'll say it softly because I don't want to disturb you. Um, not all gifts are always needed. So you cannot come to your minister and say, Lord, uh, I have, uh, sir, I have been gifted in such and such. And because the Lord has gifted me, so say you said, you can't, I'm a gifted preacher, sir. And the Lord has given me this gift of preaching. And I would like to tell you that because clearly it's meant to be used in this church. Uh, no. Not all gifts are needed all the time. Now, we have a I have a remarkable experience with this. Uh, in our congregation, one I go to, we have a very, very gifted musician. Uh, she's an she's a organist and a teacher and, and uh, is truly gifted. And uh, she has been sitting in the congregation that I've been part of for uh, at least 30, 35, uh, at least 
35 years and she's never been asked to play the organ or to lead in music. But there she is. But the lovely thing about her is I'd never once heard her complain, never once heard her say, but I'm the musical genius here. I've never heard her say, I demand to play that organ. There it is sitting there, Sunday after Sunday, nobody's playing it. It'd be wonderful if it was played. I demand to play the organ, I can do it. I never heard her say that. I'd never heard, I've never seen her miss a Sunday. She's there every Sunday. She makes no demand on the congregation because she has a gift. She is a very humble and godly Christian lady. And uh, we also have a gentleman in our congregation um, who is, uh, in fact, we, we have about three or four outstanding preachers in our congregation. Out, absolutely outstanding. No, you're not looking at him. Uh, but we have a minister, and he does the preaching. And we have one man in particular who is, who is, in terms of communication skills and preaching and so forth, he is absolutely top of the range. Uh, never asked. He's there every Sunday when he's not out preaching somewhere else, but he's there every Sunday, brings his family, sits in the pew, listens to sermons which are whether it's for building up. This is what the Apostle says. Um, he uses this phrase. Now, where is it? If you have a look at um, um, chapter 14. Um, now, where is... Oh, yes. Uh, if you have a look at verse 3, for example... The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation, he says. Upbuilding. In other words, the gifts and the giftedness, now he's contrasting prophecy and speaking in tongues here, and he's saying, well, the prophet is more likely to build up than the person who speaks in tongues. That may be spectacular. That may get a crowd. You know, someone speaking in tongues, whoa, supernatural. But the prophet, the one who speaks the word of God to us, he said, that's for our upbuilding encouragement. That is the gift we need. Even though you may have someone who's spectacularly gifted as a tongue speaker, whatever that is. Okay, so not all gifts are needed. Okay, we threw that particular irky bit. All right. Gifts, uh, next point, gifts are for the service of all. Manifestation for the common good. Gifts are for the service of all. Next, gifts are motivated by love. Uh, when you say, am I gifted, do I have the gift, and so forth and so on, what you need is the, you need to put on, you need to put on the spectacles through which you will see love, through which love will look. Can I put it that way? You need the eyes of love 
but look not to yourself but to the other person and other persons and say how can I help how can I help and you'll soon find you have the gift one of the best ways that uh, one of the gifts that Paul mentions in Romans 12 is the gift of giving money that's not a gift that's often appealed to yes, uh, yes. but uh, there we are I prefer have the gift of prophecy rather than giving money but uh, <laughs> generosity what a great gift a friend of mine is a very generous person and um, uh, he was converted he came to know the Lord in his early 20s and the man who led him to Christ uh, took him to church and my friend when the collection plate came by my friend did what he'd been taught to do you know as a, a very sound eastern suburbs citizen he reached into his fob pocket and pulled out his 20, 20 cents he was going to put in the plate and to his astonishment, his friend reached into his back pocket, pulled out his wallet and put in $20, which in those days was a huge sum of money. And that simple action has unleashed hundreds of thousands of dollars because my friend said, oh, I'm meant to be generous. Isn't that interesting? That was a gift that was displayed and which has been a blessing to the people of God, one way or another. It's, it's not very spectacular, I know. You don't sort of get the same kick out of it as you might get out of some of these, you know, but it matters. So gifts uh, are in the service of all. They are motivated by love. And, of course, uh, if you have a look at chapter 13. Now, I, 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 uh, I didn't ask for chapter 13 to be read, but you can't read chapters 12 and 14 without 13. In fact, 13 is the important chapter. Paul has taken this congregation which is practically flying around the ceiling with its spectacular gifts and it has inched and inched and inched and inched and inched down until we get to chapter 13, which is one that really matters. You have a look at, have a look at that? Now, who read chapter 12 for us? Jackie. Where, Jackie, where's Jackie? How are you up to reading 13 for us? Why don't, why don't you come out here, if you don't mind, Jackie, forgive me ordering you round. But bless us with your gift for reading. And listen to this. This is what tells us about your gifts and what you should do with them. And if you don't get this right, and please notice verses 1 to 4, where it says, look at these gifts which I have, including the gifts of giving money away. And notice that they're all useless unless. I'm starting with the second part of verse 31 that I didn't read last time. Thank you. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, 
It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies they will cease, where there are tongues they will be stilled, where there is knowledge it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, <coughs> then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. Mm. You feel like you fall short, don't you, when you read that? So amazing. way of looking at that is to say that the apostle was writing a portrait of Jesus whether that's true or not and just as that is what he is like so our hope is that we shall be like him only through his death for us on the cross of course but notice you could be the most gifted person of all but if without love your gifts are worse than useless so I don't know what your gift is you probably I don't care if you don't know what your gift is the, the, the point is, are you motivated by love for, your, for the body of Christ and for the outside world too, of course, but for the body of Christ, because that's the context here, to offer the body of Christ your service uh, in order to build it up. The first thing you should do is be in it every Sunday. That's the first thing, just to be present. That would be a great thing. Uh, how we can f stay away from the family, uh, just decide we're too tired to go this morning or something, is a puzzle to me. How can you how can you love and stay away from the ones you love? And then you can go on from there. It doesn't have to be spectacular. It has to be real. Uh, you can pray for your family, the family of believers. You can pray earnestly, I trust you do, for your minister. And so and so are you. you. You can work it out, I'm sure. Now, uh, time is short. Uh, as you can see, we never did get to the fourth uh, talk. That's okay. Uh, the church is one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. I wouldn't give the word Catholic away to the Roman Catholics. They are Roman Catholics. We are Catholics. That is to say, we believe in the universality of the church, Jew and Gentile, and the church is for all people. So I'm very happy to be called a Catholic Christian, because that's what I am. Uh, and uh, the, uh, 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 certainly the Roman Catholics, you can call them Roman Catholics, but we're Catholic Christians. I wouldn't abandon that word. 
apostolic in the sense we're based on the teaching of the apostles, uh, holy in the sense that we are being drawn into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ corporately, another reason for not missing church, and, uh, and uh, one in the sense that we ha are one. We have been given the gift of unity, now maintain it. There is one church, our expression of the church is a unity, now we must work to maintain the unity of the church. Now there's uh, several other areas which uh, would be worth uh, just touching on in these last few minutes, uh, but let's return to Christmas Day. Uh, Joe, what did you say about Christmas Day?